0: perceptions podcast Anxiety levels throughout society are through the roof, and in times such as this, the default is to look for a kinder, gentler time in which things were less complicated. Imagine a DeLorean time machine car appears outside your house this year and you get in and you're told that you're going to 2052 to see what the future looks like. You arrive and you see what it actually looks like 30 years from now. Do you want that future? What would you do to get there or to get away from that future? That's what we're going to find out. So how about this the beatles have delivered a new single some 62 years after their first one and some 22 and 43 years respectively since the deaths of two of their members george harrison and john lennon the song now and then was written by john lennon and was on tape with him singing over piano but as a pre-release mini documentary explained until recently The technology wasn't available to split the track up into its component parts. So John's voice was too muddy, the piano too much over the top. Now, When Harrison was alive, he, Ringo Starr and Paul McCartney attempted to record the song, but to no avail. So it wasn't until Peter Jackson, the New Zealand film director behind the 2021 Get Back Disney Plus doco, got hold of the material that John's vocals were teased out, and voila, a new Beatles single, in 2023. Now if I'm honest, it's not amazing, it's typical John post-Beatles, never my favourite. But it's been put together beautifully, and it sounds pretty lush. And the video, no spoilers here, really does take you back. Now, really does feel like then. Which I guess is the point of the song, I mean... With lyrics such as this, And now and then if we must start again, Well, we will know for sure that I will love you. And the chorus, Now and then I miss you, Oh now and then I want you to be there for me, Always to return to me. So nothing too deep, nothing to take you by surprise. It kind of feels like the song that AI might come up with if asked to write a Beatles track which is, it would seem, exactly what was intended. Some 20 million views on YouTube in three days and heaps of reaction videos and lots of analysis online and in print later. That would pretty much say that the verdict is the Beatles got back. It's nostalgia as far as the eye can see. And speaking of got back, that's the name of the sold out concert tour by Paul McCartney. And my wife and daughter went to one of his recent Sydney shows. Now it's been a 10-year dream of my daughter's to see Paul McCartney live. And my wife took a photo of my daughter as Sir Paul came onto stage. The lights are shining, bathing my daughter's face in beatific light as she looked on at this 81-year-old, famous beyond famous, in wonder. It's an almost transcendent moment in that photograph. And when they take the long flight home to Perth, my daughter streams the Beatles constantly on her phone. Headphones on, right? wrong (laughs) she listens to Beatles albums on vinyl on a turntable new pressings on a lovely wooden case turntable with Bluetooth speakers and she's building up quite a collection of vinyl she told me once that as she played an album a Beatles album for the first time that she imagined what it would have been like in the 1960s as a young woman around her age put on a Beatles record on a turntable for the first time ever The mere action of her doing it transported her there in some emotional way. The then, somehow being brought into the now. Welcome to the world of nostalgia. A world that seems to have wound up even tighter and tighter in the past few decades. It just seems like the 90s happened, but supposedly they're back. And the 80s? Well, stranger things have happened. Yes, I was a teenager in the 80s the period that the hit streaming series, Stranger Things, is set. And there's a nostalgia for that supposedly simpler period too, down to the checked shirts with pop buttons tucked into wide-legged jeans. So many kids today say they would have loved the 80s, except of course we didn't have iPhones and social media, and all the stuff that is so delicious and distracting and destructive. But take it from me, The nostalgia thing is a thing, from the 60s through to the noughties. And it's not just vinyl, it's become cassettes and CDs too. Of course, I get nostalgia, I totally get it. But it's interesting watching it spin itself more tightly in the past few years, returning to decades that have seemingly just passed. And of course, with the Beatles generation, the boomers, there's a great irony, isn't there? The most forward-thinking generation that was sloughing off the old world of rules and regulations and ushering in the dawning of the age of Aquarius and whatnot, is somehow hankering for a golden era that seemed, if not more sensible, you couldn't call the 60s more sensible than the 50s, then certainly more optimistic, more hope-filled, now seems far more brutal than then. So what's going on? I think a number of things. Not exhaustive and not necessarily proof beyond doubt, but here's what I observe. First, there's a yearning for a simpler past. Now, that's always been the case, yes? You can trace that all the way back to the idea of the golden era that so captivated the Greek and Roman world in which the best was behind them, the mythic world of the heroes and the gods. And we see it all of the time in niche movements, happily in interest groups, those who dress like the people did back in the 1940s say, but unhappily, worryingly, in cult-like movements or political reactionary groups. But it's ramped up today and it's become a wider industry, and it's done so at a time when the future looks increasingly bleak to so many people. Anxiety levels throughout society are through the roof. And in times such as this, The default is to look for a kinder, gentler time in which things were less complicated, the rose-coloured glasses thing. What's interesting is that technology, very modern technology, the latest technology, allows us to get to the past and recreate it. In fact, like the Beatles now and then, make it clearer, less muddy, less complicated than it actually was. You see, the golden era of the Greek and Roman gods never existed, but nor does a crystal clear version of John Lennon's voice singing the Beatles' last song. Until now. What our minds imagined, technology now permits. And the same is true of Stranger Things. There are plenty of monsters in Stranger Things, but they're real monsters. Not human beings lurking on the internet, not trolls on social media. Life is tied down in Stranger Things by a landline phone. I've got to be honest though, I'm not that nostalgic, and I never have been. Not that I look back and check to see if I were, actually. And the reason is I didn't find my past simpler. We moved countries a couple of times. I had too many schools. I hated it. My parents were divorced. We were always broke. Perhaps that's the reason that, unlike many men my age heading towards 60, I didn't stop off with my 80s music and fashion, as if that was a home game. Yet that simpler past is a drawcard for so many people in this complex world of pronouns, microaggressions, cancellations. Never mind the mythical world of the upside down and stranger things. It feels like we're living that life now, a mythical world that's upside down. A second not so strange thing is this. Not only do people long for a simpler past, there's a yearning for a more concrete present. Tangibility has become a thing. Embodiment. Who knew? Here we are being promised a virtual disembodied future as a pathway to true freedom. Transhumanism in a virtual online world. But we're balking. Online journal The Conversation discussed how the future online world will shape us away from our incarnated reality and all the attendant pressures and toxic responses to bodily difference. And it states this, if the end goal of transhumanism is to leave our biological origins entirely behind us, then a post-human world would also be a post-gender world. In which case, so much of the discrimination that focuses on the body would become extinct. In other words, a disembodied utopia. And note the almost dispassionate manner in which our bodies are addressed – biological origins. If I said you had a nice biological origin, would you hold it against me? Is that what people want? Is that what we feel we can be reduced to, and everything be okay? Well, I'm not so sure. Perhaps it's just a case of any port in a storm, a way to check out of reality, without checking out of reality virtually. But I don't really see any great clamour for that at all. It turns out that the ephemeral nature of our modern world, celebrated by the tech companies, is not so enticing to everyone. That's not to say that millions of us don't live life online, but it's showing up a huge lack in other areas of life something in us recoils from the sheer transience of the virtual. The impermanence of a streaming service, the intangibility of a virtual book, all added to the uncertainty of who will be Prime Minister or President this year, and for how long. So what we get is a return to turntables, and the risk of scratched vinyl. But as my daughter has just informed me, also a return to cds what all that skipping and cassettes i mean who's got time for cassettes winding that spiraled tape back in with a 2b pencil yet here we are of course so much of this is the now and then industry that has spawned arena concerts for octogenarian singers but there's something more going on under the surface the need for permanence in fact that's the horror of death in the modern world is it not our sheer impermanence the fact that we don't live on and the only way to do that is to slow things down we will die paul mccartney will die at some point there will be one beetle left ringo or paul toss a coin and then one day none And that will end an era that, for the boomers among us who seemed so permanent but are now in rapid decline, offered so much possibility for change as it began. As my daughter and wife pointed out after the McCartney concert, there was a deep wistfulness, a sense that, yep, this is it, even from him. Which brings us to a third thing. There's a yearning for a slower in the moment present. Writing in online journal The Manual, Steve John made this observation. There is nothing fast about a record. Whereas you can tap on your phone and pull up a song on Amazon Unlimited or Apple Music in a matter of seconds, with a record you have to remove it from the sleeve, open the top of the record player, place the vinyl disc carefully and set the stylus, then switch it all on, and wait as that warm crackle prefaces that rare experience. Music as the activity, not as the backdrop. Sounds exhausting. But the pace of change is frightening, and a younger generation is feeling that. In fact, that could be one of the reasons that vinyl is making a comeback among millennials more so than among boomers and Gen Xers. So Steve John quotes Scott Hagen, the CEO of Vitrola Turntables, who points out that with more than 60% of 18 to 29 year olds owning a record player, slow music, so to speak, is here to stay. Hagen says this, The world that we're in needs this kind of format. It needs us to slow down and enjoy a really nice meal once in a while. A good bourbon or cocktail now and then, and to sit down and just listen to music sometimes. Did you hear that? The world that we're in needs this kind of format. There's a sense that something this permanent, this slow, is a counter to the rest of life, a life that is a dizzying roller coaster of rapid, discontinuous change. We need anchors to slow this ship down before it sails over the edge. Record players are only the beginning. It seems we need slow formats in a dozen other areas of life too. Of course, there's a need for more than just a series of formats – crafted consumer items that give the impression of a slower, more thoughtful experience of life. There's a need for an actual slower, more thoughtful experience of life. The return of vinyl and the turntable is perhaps a cry for help. Okay, you've had your slow lives, your days of sheer boredom with no technology to distract. How about we get a turn at that? How about we see if what you had then is better than what you are offering us now? In a world of so many backdrop experiences that wash over us unthinkingly, the idea of settling in for an activity is almost novel. That's perhaps why we see, post-COVID, younger families moving to regional centres rather than seeking the expense and hustle of the city. Seeking a sense of community, even if it is merely a sense and not an actual community, a place where people live, for longer than a three-year stretch, for example. And if we can take the good of the technology, working from home, access to Zoom for the grandparents, good coffee, well-resourced food, with a smallish school, at least in the primary years, and no struggling commute, why wouldn't we want to take that? That's what I think anyway. So where's it all headed? Some things are just going to get faster. And I don't mean a return to 45 RPM singles over 33 RPM albums. I mean the technological and geopolitical churn, the pace of all that, is set to increase. And the current levels of anxiety in our culture, especially among the young, must tell us that there's surely a maximum speed at which we can take this thing before it starts to spin out of control. And I see a few things on the horizon coming up. The first would be this. A worrying rise in reactionary politics on both the left and the right. An ahistorical generation birthed into progressive politics on university campuses are blithely unaware of how many people died under communism. That's why there's a Che Guevara poster on the wall of the bedrooms hosting those newly minted turntables. Nostalgia cuts both ways, you see. It can give us red-coloured glasses, as much as rose-coloured ones. But there's also the equal and opposite problem, a return to a controlling fascism, and the resurgence of anti-Semitism from both the left and the right, divorced as they are from the realities of history. You know, actual history. When older Jews who remember the Holocaust, or who lost family members in it, say, Never again, It's not a surprise when a younger cohort replies, what do you mean by again? So that's one thing I see. The other thing I see is a return to more traditional religion. That may surprise you, especially with the decline of religion in the West at the moment. But in her book, Strange Rites, New Religions for a Godless Age, Tara Isabella Burton asks the hard questions of the new pastiche of consumer spiritualities, that are cobbled together by credit cards and influencers doing the rounds online. And she wants to know this. Can these forms of individuated religion form thick enough communities and deep enough loyalties to stand up to the cultural storms we're facing? While she says the jury is out, there's proof that, despite the precipitous decline of mainstream Christian religion, that there's a bottoming out beginning to occur. For example, there's an interesting uptake in more ancient forms of Christianity. Orthodoxy, Roman Catholicism, high church expressions that meet in cathedrals with lots of candles. It's the sense of permanence, the sense that in a world of virtual church, a return to good old vinyl might slow us down a bit, might get us in touch with ourselves, and perhaps with a a god of some sort, in a way that nothing else does. And perhaps I see too a return to more traditional relationships. Now that sounds counterintuitive, but dare I say it? Perhaps a rebuffing of the impermanence of hookup culture and all of its attendant off-siders. Sure, those things will go on—Tinder, Grindr, Bumble, that sort of thing—but relationships will go one of two ways. If my friends' children are any indication, they're either going to stay in the constant churn. Or they'll look that in the face and go, no thanks. They'll settle down younger, marry younger, have children younger, find a locale to stay in more permanently, and reject the myth of the new, the enticing, the modern. And I'm already seeing that in a lot of the young people today. To paraphrase the words of turntable maestro Scott Hagen, the world that we're in needs this kind of format. Maybe that doesn't just apply to music, but to relationships too. Maybe, just maybe, we're wired a certain way, and that pushing ourselves to the limit in the other direction can be fun while it lasts, but it doesn't last. Maybe now and then is a taste of something, a yearning, for what my daughter's generation has barely experienced, but feels that it would like. Lives not lived as a backdrop to something else, but lives lived as the activity itself. perceptions podcast